Chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Of Catina Aria, Gospel of St. Luke, Part 2, by St. Thomas Aquinas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Theophylact, because the Pharisees were covetous and railed against Christ when he preached poverty, he put to them a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Afterwards, in speaking with his disciples concerning the Pharisees, he declares them to be men who caused division and placed obstacles in the divine way. As it follows, then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible but that offenses will come, that is, hindrances to a good life, and which is pleasing to God. Cyril, now there are two kinds of offenses, of which the one resist the glory of God, but the other serve only to cause a stumbling block to the brethren. For the inventions of heresies and every word that is spoken against the truth are obstructions to the glory of God. Such offenses, however, do not seem to be mentioned here, but rather those which occur between friends and brethren, as strife, slanders, and the like. Therefore he adds afterwards, If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Theophylact. Or he says that there must arise many obstacles to preaching and to truth, as the Pharisees hindered the preaching of Christ. But some ask, if it needs be that offenses should come, why does our Lord rebuke the author of the offenses? For it follows, but woe to him through whom they come. For whatsoever necessity engenders is pardonable or deserving of pardon, but observe that necessity itself derives its birth from free will. For our Lord, seeing how men cling to evil and put forward nothing good, spoke with reference to the consequence of those things which are seen that offenses must needs come, just as if a physician, seeing a man using an unwholesome diet, should say, it is impossible, but that such a one should be sick. And therefore, to him that causes offenses, he denounces woe, and threatens punishment, saying, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, etc. Bede. This is spoken according to the custom of the province of Palestine, for among the ancient Jews the punishment of those who were guilty of the greater crimes was that they should be sunk into the depth with a stone tied to them, and, in truth, it were better for a guilty man to finish his bodily life by a punishment, however barbarous, yet temporal, than for his innocent brother to deserve the eternal death of his soul." Now he who can be offended is rightly called a little one, for he who is great, whatsoever he is witness of, and how great soever his suffering, swerves not from the faith. As far then as we can without sin, we ought to avoid giving offense to our neighbors. But if an offense is taken at the truth, it is better to let the offense be, than that truth should be abandoned. Chrysostom but by the punishment of the man who offends, learn the reward of him who saves. For had not the salvation of one soul been of such exceeding care to Christ, he would not threaten with such a punishment the offender. 
Verses 3 and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Ambrose, after the parable of the rich man who is tormented in punishment, Christ added a commandment to give forgiveness to those who turn themselves from their trespasses, lest any one through despair should not be reclaimed from his fault. And hence it is said, take heed to yourselves. Theophylact, as if he says, offenses must needs come, but it does not follow that you must perish. If only you be on your guard, as it need not that the sheep should perish when the wolf comes, if the shepherd is watching, and since there are great varieties of offenders, for some are incurable, some are curable, he therefore adds, If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Ambrose, that there might neither be hard-wrung pardon, nor a too easy forgiveness, neither a harsh upbraiding to dishearten, nor an overlooking of faults to invite to sin. Therefore it is said in another place, Tell him his faults between him and thee alone. For better is a friendly correction than a quarrelsome accusation. The one strikes shame into a man, the other moves his indignation. He who is admonished will more likely be saved, because he fears to be destroyed. For it is well that he who is corrected should believe you to be rather his friend than his enemy. For we more readily give ear to counsel than yield to injury. Fear is a weaker preserver of constancy, but shame is an excellent master of a duty. For he who fears is restrained, not amended. But he has well said, if he trespass against thee, for it is not the same thing to sin against God and to sin against man. Bede. But we must mark that he does not bid us forgive everyone who sins, but him only who repents of his sins. For by taking his course we may avoid offenses, hurting no one, correcting the sinner with a righteous zeal, extending the bowels of mercy to the penitent. Theophylact, but someone may well ask, if when I have several times forgiven my brother, he again trespass against me, what must I do with him? In answer, therefore, to this question, he adds, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, forgive him. Bede, by using the number seven, he assigns no bound to the giving of pardon, but commands us either to forgive all sins, or always to forgive the penitent. For by seven, the whole of anything or time is frequently represented. Ambrose, or this number is used because God rested on the seventh day from his works. After the seventh day of the world, everlasting rest is promised us, that as the evil works of that world shall then cease, so also may the sharpness of the punishment be abated. Verses 5 and 6. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith, and the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Theophylact, 
the disciples hearing our Lord discoursing of certain arduous duties, such as poverty and avoiding offenses, entreated him to increase their faith, that so they might be able to follow poverty, for nothing so prompts to a life of poverty as faith and hope in the Lord, and through faith to guard against giving offenses. Therefore it is said, and the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Gregory, that is, that the faith which has already been received in its beginning might go on increasing more and more unto perfection. Augustine, we may indeed understand that they asked for the increase of that faith by which men believe in the things which they see not. But there is further signified a faith in things, whereby not with the words only, but the things themselves present we believe. And this shall be when the wisdom of God, by whom all things were made, shall reveal himself openly to his saints, face to face. Theophylact, but our Lord told them that they asked well, and that they ought to believe steadfastly, forasmuch as faith could do many things, and hence it follows, and the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, etc., Two mighty acts are here brought together in the same sentence, the transplanting of that which was rooted in the earth, and the planting thereof in the sea. For what is ever planted in the waves? By which two things he declares the power of faith. Chrysostom, he mentions the mustard seed, because though small in size, it is mightier in power than all others. He implies then that the least part of faith can do great things. But though the apostles did not transplant the mulberry tree, do not thou accuse them. For our Lord said not, You shall transplant, but you shall be able to transplant. And they did not, because there was no need, seeing that they did greater things. But someone will ask, How does Christ say that it is the least part of faith which can transplant a mulberry tree or a mountain? Whereas Paul says that, it is all faith which moves mountains. We must then answer that the apostle imputes the moving of mountains to all faith, not as though only the whole of faith could do this, but because this seemed a great thing to carnal men on account of the vastness of the body. Bede, or our Lord here compares perfect faith to a grain of mustard seed, because it is lowly in appearance, but fervid in heart, but mystically by the mulberry tree, whose fruit and branches are red with a blood-red color, is represented the gospel of the cross, which, through the faith of the apostles, being uprooted by the word of preaching from the Jewish nation, in which it was kept, as it were, in the lionel stock, was removed and planted in the sea of the Gentiles. Ambrose, or this is said because faith keeps out the unclean spirit, especially since the nature of the tree falls in with this meaning. For the fruit of the mulberry is at first white in the blossom, and being formed from thence grows red and blackens as it gets ripe. The devil also, having by transgression fallen from the white flower of the angelic nature and the bright beams of his power, grows terrible in the black odor of sin. Chrysostom the mulberry may be also compared to the devil, for as by the leaves of the mulberry tree certain worms are fed, so the devil, by the imaginations which proceed from him, is feeding for us a never-dying worm, 
but this mulberry tree faith is able to pluck out of our souls and plunge it into the deep. Verses 7 through 10. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Theophylact, because faith makes its possessor a keeper of God's commandments and adorns him with wonderful works, it would seem from thence that a man might thereby fall into the sin of pride. Our Lord therefore forewarned his disciples by a fit example not to boast themselves in their virtues, saying, But which of you, having a servant plowing, etc.? Augustine, or else, to the many who understand not this faith in the truth already present, our Lord might seem not to have answered the petitions of his disciples. And there appears a difficulty in the connection here, unless we suppose he meant the change from faith to faith, from that faith, namely, by which we serve God, to that whereby we enjoy him. For then will our faith be increased when we first believe the word preached, next the reality present. But that joyful contemplation possesseth perfect peace, which is given unto us in the everlasting kingdom of God. And that perfect peace is the reward of those righteous labors which are performed in the administration of the church. Be then the servant in the field plowing or feeding, that is, in this life, either following his worldly business or serving foolish men, as it were cattle. He must, after his labors, return home, that is, be united to the church. Bede, or the servant departs from the field when giving up for a time his work of preaching. The teacher retires into his own conscience, pondering his own words or deeds within himself, to whom our Lord does not at once say, Go from this mortal life and sit down to meet, that is, refresh thyself in the everlasting resting place of a blessed life. Ambrose, for we know that no one sits down before he has first passed over. Moses indeed also passed over, that he might see a great sight. Since then thou not only sayest to thy servant, sit down to meet, but requirest from him another service. So in this life the Lord does not put up with the performance of one work and labor, because as long as we live we ought also to work. Therefore it follows, and will not rather say, make ready wherewith I may sup. Bede, he bids make ready wherewith he may sup, that is, after the labors of public discourse, he bids him humble himself in self-examination. With such a supper our Lord desires to be fed, but to gird oneself is to collect the mind which has been enfolded in the base coil of fluctuating thoughts, whereby its steps in the cause of good works are wont to be entangled. For he who girds up his garments does so, that in walking he may not be tripped up. But to minister unto God is to acknowledge that we have no strength without the help of his grace. 
Augustine, while his servants also are ministering, that is, preaching the gospel, our Lord is eating and drinking the faith and confession of the Gentiles. It follows, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. As if he says, after that I have been delighted with the work of thy preaching, and refreshed myself with the choice food of thy compunction. Then at length shalt thou go and feast thyself everlastingly with the eternal banquet of wisdom. Cyril, our Lord teaches us that it is no more than the just and proper right of a master to require, as their bounden duty, subjection from servants, adding, Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. Here then is the disease of pride cut away. Why boastest thou thyself? Dost thou know that if thou payest not thy debt, danger is at hand? But if thou payest, thou dost nothing thankworthy. As St. Paul says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Observe then that they who have rule among us do not thank their subjects when they perform their appointed service, but by kindness gain the affections of their people, breed in them a greater eagerness to serve them. So likewise God requires from us that we should wait upon him as his servants, but because he is merciful and of great goodness, he promises reward to them that work, and the greatness of his loving kindness far exceeds the labors of his servants. Ambrose, boast not thyself then that thou hast been a good servant. Thou hast done what thou oughtest to have done. The sun obeys, the moon submits herself, the angels are subject. Let us not then seek praise from ourselves. Therefore he adds in conclusion, so likewise ye, when ye have done all good things, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. Bede, servants I say, because bought with a price, unprofitable, for the Lord needeth not our good things, or because the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here and then is the perfect faith of men, when having done all things which were commanded them, they acknowledge themselves to be imperfect. End of chapter 17, verses 1 through 10.